Well, a very special day for us all. A very, very special day that has been for the show. 100 episodes and you all are part of it. Go on to hashtag MSW. And today the news of the sacking of Jose Mourinho was put up by the club. I don't know if a lot of people found it to be extremely unexpected or it was expected. Well, welcome. Commentating. Hey. Well, I, I call him the coach of commentators. That is Peter Drury joining me on the line uh, live from Blackpool. Uh, Peter Drury, thank you so much for your time. Good evening. Welcome to the 100th show of Hashtag MSW. Oh, what a privilege to be on that show. What thank a, you for having me. What a time, Peter. I think the last time we spoke, we were uh, pretty new to the new concept that we had here on radio. And here we are today, 100 shows. And also on the day that we say goodbye to arguably the most talked about coach in the EPL, but maybe for the wrong reasons, Jose Mourinho. Did you anticipate this when you said your final words at Anfield? <laughs> it's it's uh, hard to say I did because... To be honest, we've become used to days like that for Manchester United this season. And there was a sense in which I think a lot of people believed they were just digging in and going with it and going with it. Um, Having said which, when the announcement arrived this morning, it didn't come as a big surprise because Manchester United aren't where Manchester United should be. Um, And uh, Jose Mourinho is perceived by many to be a, a part of the problem. That might or might not be unfair. Very few of us actually know what is going on behind closed doors, but... Um, the fact that a change has occurred now that it has occurred um, doesn't feel uh, shocking at all. I think Manchester United probably did feel, listen, this isn't working, we've got to move on. And how difficult a decision do you think it would have been, though, uh, Peter? Because I believe it was a late-night phone call with the American owners, uh, also talking to Ed Woodward, uh, about the way forward. And it was emphatic that no other decision uh, was going to be good enough for a Manchester United team than to sack the coach, regardless of whatever the payment was going to be. Well, I, quite. I mean, of course, it must have been a very, very difficult decision. Apart from anything else, it, it is in itself an admission of failure which is very, very hard for the biggest club in uh, English football and arguably world football or European football. That, to, to admit failure is hard. It's also very hard to imply failure for one of the great coaches of our generation, which Jose Mourinho, despite this, unarguably is. So notwithstanding all of the financial implications, just from a human perspective, a massively difficult decision. Uh, and then, as, as you rightly imply, there's money on top of that. Mm. And, um, you know, these, these are big numbers. I, I, I wouldn't be so impertinent as to suggest I know exactly what those numbers are. But, you know, we're talking telephone numbers here. It costs a lot of money to, to sack a, a high-profile coach and then, of course, to employ another one. And do you think that's why they're leaving it as a, a cooling-off period up until the end of the season before they decide whether a Zinedine Zidane type of coach would be good enough to now step in and hope to change the fortunes of a Manchester United? Well, yes, I guess that must be the rationale. I mean, the worst thing Manchester United could do, surely, would be to rush in and pick someone in the heat of the moment, have a rush of blood, uh, and get it wrong. They, they've got to be very sure that getting it right now. We, we've been through three coaches now since Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, let's be frank, they haven't yet replaced Alex Ferguson. What one feels in retrospect, a lot of uh, sympathy now for David Moyes, mm. because he was the poor guy who had to follow the legend and found it very, very difficult. And as, as things have transpired, we've found out just how difficult it is to be the manager of that great club. Um, because Messrs. Van Carl and, um, and Mourinho now have had a crack and haven't found it easy either. 
Um, so, yeah, they probably are right to have a cooling-off period. The, the, the trouble with being Manchester United, though, is that there is no acceptance of wasted time, if you see what I mean. Yeah. You know, if, you're, if you're admitting to a cooling-off period, they're effectively saying, well, we'll let this half-season go. And Manchester United shouldn't be a club that's letting half a season go. And they are still in the Champions League. They've got a tough, tough tie against Paris Saint-Germain. Um, there's the FA Cup to try and win. And, and it's not beyond the realms of possibility that if they had a good second half of the season, they could still finish in the top four. Clearly, they won't be champions now. But um, it, it, it's a very important decision um, in terms of who they appoint in the interim. But the, the long-term appointment is a, is a massive one. And of course... Doesn't matter who you are, who you appoint. No appointment like that comes with a guarantee. They could get Zidane, who's won the Champions League with Real Madrid and all of that stuff, one of the great stellar players. But it might not work at Manchester United. And uh, whoever they appoint, it, it, it comes with a degree of risk. It's, it's going to be fascinating, and, and of course, all play into the great narrative that it's the Premier League and Manchester United. That's that's incredible to hear, though, Peter. And I'll ask you the question that even if Let's say you talk about a Zinedine Zidane and it doesn't work for him uh, because it's not going to work for a Manchester United. Then it goes back to the comments that I heard earlier this year from Gary Neville uh, who talked and said that the club was rotten to the core uh, when they were talking about Mourinho's future uh, even back then. Um, He says that the United board is so naive, it's unbelievable. So if those issues are not sorted out and they go through some of the top coaches in the world and you still find that the results are not forthcoming, then there is no point in a Manchester United project moving forward, richest club in the world. Well, this is it. And all sorts of accusations and barbs are thrown at Manchester United. One of them is that they are run as a money-making venture as opposed to a sporting club uh, because of their reputation and their magnificent history and their global appeal, which is second to none. They can to an extent, get away with it. They can get away with being the fifth or sixth best team in England because they are, by a margin, the biggest team in England and and people follow them. Uh, And if they want to get back to being the best team in England, then those who examine these things will tell you that they need to restructure. Um, It's no longer the case that players, the greatest players in the world, will necessarily choose to join Manchester United just because of the, the gleam and the glitter and the reputation of the club. There are major uh, competitors financially for all of those top players now. And United isn't necessarily the best option. But, you know, that applies to coaches too. It's, it's interesting. People have been talking today about Didan and Pochettino and Diego Simeone and suggesting that in, in the latter two cases there, they might be prepared to leave their current employers and go to Manchester United because of, of its great fame. But... In Pochettino's case, would you really leave Tottenham to go to Manchester United now? Mm. Not necessarily so, because it's not perhaps the happiest place to go and work. Mm. Um, It's been clearly written today that uh, the manager, whoever he turns out to be, will expect now to work with a a new sidekick, a new director of football, which is the modern way. Uh, And the the whole recruitment process needs sharpening up. the trouble with being so big, like a great ocean-going liner, is that the turning circle is huge. And uh, Manchester United are only just beginning a turning circle, which could take a long time.
And a very long time. I always wondered, though, Peter, was I'd seen for a number of years now, and the accurate number is 17 years, uh, where Jose Mourinho was able to work uh, with Rui Faria, uh, who was his confidant as well as his assistant. And you always find a great deal of pleasure and comfort knowing that the person that's working and with you and is next to you all the time has your best interest at heart and is able to double up and sort out other problems that you might not see, whether it is with individual players, etc. But he did not have him this time around. Uh, he had decided to leave, I think, back in May uh, it was. And I don't think Jose kind of gotten hold of a lot of things around the team. I don't know what you're reading of that situation, or was it already yeah. done and dusted? Well, do you know, that's a very interesting point. It really is a very good point. Uh, a good lieutenant is a really important thing. Again, not just tactically uh, and in terms of team and so on, but um, humanly, you know, you need somebody to bounce off. You need somebody who you can absolutely trust. Now, I don't know precisely what the dynamic of that was and, and why exactly it broke down or ceased to be. Um, I think very few people genuinely do. What I do know, though, it's, it's interesting if you talk to some of the long-lasting managers um, in the English game, certainly, they will tell you, and Sir Alex Ferguson's a great example of this, that at their clubs, they have constantly to be refreshing. And that includes the number two, the lieutenant. You know, you need a different voice. That, that's what they found. I mean, Alex Ferguson went through several, from Archie Knox to Walter Smith to Steve McLaren to Rennie Mullenstein and, and so on and so forth. Because every two or three years, he didn't fall out with these people. He just felt that he needed a new voice. Uh, Jose Mourinho went another way with a long-term confidant. Uh, and when it came to the end, that relationship, at least professionally, uh, you're right, it had to coincide with, uh, with things going in the wrong direction. That, that is a, that's a fascinating take on it. And you work very closely, uh, I suppose, with the day-to-day match on match day scenarios and we've all wondered about uh, what's the player's body language looking like you know the whole issue of uh, the the player power the Paul Pogba sitting on the bench for an entire 90 minutes at Anfield and not playing two games back to back prior to that uh, and how that plays out in itself not only to Paul Pogba as an individual player, but all the other players that might side with him. And we've seen this again, Peter. I think it was at Chelsea when the players were not there for Jose. Jose left, and in the interim, the very next game, they gave an application of themselves that we had never seen under Jose Mourinho. Did you detect any of that singularly, especially yesterday or in other matches? Well, it's hard because although, yes, I'm close to the match experience, getting that close to the players is not... Not necessarily easy. All, all I would say is that, of course, sport at any level is large, or certainly team sport, is about relationships. And it did become increasingly evident to any onlooker that those relationships weren't always right. Um, and, and, of course, then what happens is people start to apportion blame. The interesting thing from, from the point of view of those of us who broadcast on Manchester United a lot was that, or is that, we, for years and years, of course, play guessing games prior to any given match. We, we think, right, who, what's the Manchester United team going to be today? Who'll play? Surely he'll play Pogba against Liverpool. That sort of conversation. We pick our teams. And for the years and years of great Manchester United success, it was one of the easiest games in the world to play because you knew what the Manchester United side was. Week on week, bar injury, uh, bar the odd little bit of rotation if there were lots of games in quick succession. Basically, you knew what the Manchester United team was going to be. This season, 
truth be told, from match to match, you have had no idea. And you've had players playing in positions that you couldn't previously have foretold. Uh, and the whole thing has, has just had a slightly random feel about it. Uh, a, a lack of coherence, as well as, as you imply in your original question, as a, a lack of cheer, you know, a, a lack of enjoyment. And as people repeatedly say about sports, big games, Manchester United, Liverpool and so on, people tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, don't forget to enjoy it. Don't forget to enjoy this. This is sport. Yeah. It's fun. Uh, and, you know, um, I think they were forgetting to enjoy it. Deliberately so? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know whether it's deliberate or not. It's, it, it, possibly um, in the cases where the relationships have broken down, it, it, I don't think any player goes onto the field and deliberately doesn't do well. But I do think, and I say this having been just a very, very ordinary, regular schoolboy footballer, cricketer, whatever, I, I do think that people can go onto a sporting field just with the wrong mindset. And despite their intention to play well, just not have the mental mechanics because of the disruption, the sort of emotional disruption to those mental mechanics, actually to perform as well as they can. One of the listeners right now, Peter, who's listening to the conversation, Dibu uh, Chichonga says that on Twitter, so many average players in the current Man United team, even Pep Guardiola would struggle. Would you agree with that notion from what you've seen? I know he's cried out from time to time about not being given the right players in the transfer window. Well, uh, that's, a, that's a, again, an, an impossible question to give a straight answer to because I guess what we will find out over the coming weeks is whether these players, so often and widely described in many cases as ordinary now, suddenly become great players again. And Paul Pogba wasn't an ordinary player when Manchester United spent an awful lot of money on him, you know, and I suspect he's still not an ordinary player. I suspect he's a very, very good one. Um, you know, they spend a lot of money on centre-halves and promote the fact that they haven't got any centre-halves. Lindelof was a centre-half a lot of people wanted. Baye was a centre-half a lot of people wanted. Luke Shaw, not that long ago, was England's first-choice left-back. Um, Robert Lukaku used to score goals week after week after week. Anthony Martial, one of the most exciting young boys to come out of France, part of a World Cup-winning squad. Uh, Marcus Rashford, who absolutely flew onto the scene with goals against Arsenal in European competition. Nobody can say that when, when they came to be, these players were ordinary players. They weren't ordinary players at all. Um, but for whatever reason, and you can read hard between the lines as I say this, for whatever reason, there have been times when they have certainly appeared ordinary. Mm. Oh. And, and that's a shame, though, because the names you've rattled off, Peter, are just names that, for me, combined in a Manchester United jersey uh, would give a great performance. And just those scenes towards what the, I think the cameras kept cutting to uh, visuals of Sir Alec uh, Ferguson. And there was a time where he just looked, uh, looked at the person sitting next to him and they were, uh, he was just shaking his head. And I'd never seen that because he constantly goes across to watch as many of the high-profile Man United games as possible. And looking at that face of the most successful Manchester United coach ever said something. And maybe, I mean, I don't know what his input is at the moment regarding what coaches should be hired or fired or who should go and stay. But that, that told the story. I don't know if that image stuck with you as well. Yeah, well, I know what you mean. I, I must say, I don't think, I may be wrong, I may be wrong because a lot of this stuff is very clandestine. 
I don't think or suspect he has very much practical input at all. And that, that would be his choice for two reasons. One, as we all know, he has been very ill very recently. So uh, just the fact that he's out watching the football is, is fantastic in itself. And two, I think he would have sufficient sensitivity to realise that he does hang over Manchester United like a sort of benign ghost, you know. And, and if he were interfering, it couldn't possibly help. It would only impede further the, the very difficult task that Manchester United have of succeeding him and succeeding in the wake of him. So nobody can blame him for wanting to be at the matches. And indeed, Manchester United always look after their legends and he is absolutely a legend. They would want him there. He's mm. iconic, emblematic of all that is great about the club. Um, but I think, I think I'm right in saying that he would always want to keep his fingers out of the pies. Yeah. And while we're chatting again, and that's the interesting thing about uh, social media again here, yeah, Peter, uh, Sir Musa says, while you're chatting to Peter, please inform him that uh, Man United stock is up 3.3% today uh, within 15 minutes of trading. He says adding over $100 million uh, to the club's cap. Uh, that's at uh, Jake F. Cohen. Uh, has been cited. He says, yeah, that's how big Mourinho's sacking is. <laughs> that's, that's, well, that's extraordinary. I don't follow the markets, but I know a lot of people do. <laughs> And, I mean, it tells a story. It does tell a story. Listen, I'm probably sounding slightly reticent to, to be too strong about this because I, I, I don't misunderstand. I absolutely do understand where fans are coming from and, and the, the hard black and white truths of this issue are, are, are just that. There's, there's always, though, in me, and, and I hope some people will empathize with this, there's always a part that holds back out of, out of sympathy and empathy. You know, because Jose Mourinho is a human being. He's been an incredibly successful man in his chosen industry. Remarkably successful. And Manchester United, I guess, in his head, was going to be the crowning glory of his magnificent career. Uh, And that's how he would have wanted it. He wouldn't have wanted to, to go out like this. He would have dreamt that at the end of this fantastic career, he was going to be the one who made Manchester United great again. And today, he was sacked, and his sacking is the talking point in pubs and clubs and workplaces and homes all over the world. All over the world. And just, just imagine what it must be like to be Jose Mourinho today. It, it must, even him. You look at him and you think, gosh, here's this growling, frowning man who's paid more money than any of us would know what to do with. Why should we feel any sympathy for him? I, I suspect that today he is probably owed, just on a human level, never mind money, just mm. on a human level, a little bit of uh, a cuddle. <laughs> sure. And, 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 that's, uh, and, and that's putting it mildly again, Peter, because I, I was going to try and address the human side of things about Jose to you. Um, I'm, I'm glad you've gotten there before I have. Because the one memory that comes through was reading back then about the fact that Jose reportedly cried uh, when he heard that he had not been chosen as the heir to Alex Ferguson's throne at Old Trafford. And here we are now, five years down the line. And yes. and, and the image you've just painted of, is of somebody who would be very close to tears because Man United was his dream job. He thought that he ought to have been the next person to take over and be in charge when Sir Alex Ferguson left now, that is all 
fallen apart in the midst of somebody who's been angry with the media, holding press conferences where he's trying to show his greatness, but based in the past, and somebody who, I just think from a tactical perspective, had lost it to the likes of the Pep Guardiola's or uh, Pochettino or any other coach that has come through and shown a bit of more modern-day attack-minded flair, well, he's been left behind. Well, it's true. I mean, it, listen, there, there is no hiding emotion behind the fact that on, on Sunday at Anfield, Manchester United were streets and streets behind Liverpool. And in the recent Manchester derby, they were streets and streets behind Manchester City. Um, and so you could say that that is because, as one or two of your correspondents have, the players are ordinary. You're entitled to that opinion. You could say it is because the coach has fallen behind in tactical terms. Again, that's a perfectly valid opinion to hold. You could say it is because the whole Manchester United machine, from the management of the club uh, down, has become, in some sense, obsolete or, or ancient. Uh, and again, that's, that is um, a, a perfectly valid analysis of how Manchester United have come to reach the stage uh, they're at. But how, whatever your analysis, it is, as you rightly say, unavoidable that the team Mourinho put out, whether his fault or otherwise, the team he puts out at the moment, um, vis-à-vis the other top clubs in England and indeed in Europe, uh, he can no longer, or can at the moment, not really be considered elite. It, it, it is not one of the elite top five clubs in England, or top ten clubs, if you like, to pick an arbitrary number in Europe. You know, they are not playing that level of football. Any ability, Peter, I know I'm, I'm digging a bit deep here, as to his next move. I, I was trying to figure this out the entire day. What happens to Jose Mourinho? Does he <laughs> then coach a, a, I don't know, a Stoke City? Does he almost do a Rafa Benitez, go down into the um, one division the lower? The next level of club. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was trying to figure that out. <laughs> a really interesting question, and, and I don't have any insight at all. Um, or, or it, it will be interesting because although he had a couple of years sort of growing up in smaller clubs in Portugal before he took over Porto uh, and immediately made them great again, um, he has essentially operated at the very, very top level. Um, so you, if, if I was the chairman of Stoke City, to use your example, and Jose Mourinho was available, would I consider him actually the appropriate appointment for a club whose mechanics he might not really understand? You know, he, he might not be the man who knows how to get a team promoted out of the championship and back into the Premier League. He, he, just like Rafa Benitez has done wonderful things with Newcastle, just keeping them in the Premier League after getting them back in there. But, uh, and actually, that's an interesting example because he, after all, had been manager of Real Madrid. But would Jose Mourinho... Have, have the tools to achieve that. Um, maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. Would he have the humility to take on a job like that? Or will he choose to draw a line under his career? Will he take a, a hugely uh, lucrative job elsewhere in the world? Maybe he could go to the MLS in the United States or to China or you know, to, to one of these aspiring, if you like, soccer nations um, which can afford to pay him Big bucks. Uh, these are all decisions that, that he can make at his leisure. And, and the one extent, as I previously implied, to which we don't have to feel sympathy for Jose, is mm. financial. You know, if you or I lose our jobs, we, we still have to pay the bills somehow. 
he doesn't have that worry, so he'll he'll have plenty of leisurely thinking time. Yeah, without a doubt. Do you think a national team, maybe? Possibly. That's an interesting one. Possibly. I mean, you know, he might love to coach Portugal. Yeah. You know, that would that would be a thrill. See out the last years of Cristiano Ronaldo's career, um, and you know, they they have a very decent international side. As we know, Portugal they're normally challenging at the right end of the uh, the major international tournaments. So that that's that's a theory, but. Let's be honest, we're guessing. Yeah. And, and I, I guess, right at the moment, not even he knows. And rightfully so. An exciting period, Peter. Thank you so much. I know you're going into the very busy Christmas period where we are going to be saturated with so much football. And that's where the make <laughs> and break of football in the EPL happens. And, and I really wish you everything of the best. I mean, you keep entertaining us. You keep doing the great job. Everybody excited to hear your voice on a national radio station here in South Africa. And uh, thank you ever so much for your precious time, Peter. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and your family. And also have a great 2019 and we hope to chat to you again further i hope so too and a very happy christmas to you and to all your listeners as well great to talk to you thank you thank you so much there peter drury uh, joining us on the line all the way from blackpool uh, join us right here on hashtag msw Firmino, fabinho Mane, brilliant from Sadio Mane, out by De Gea, and in from Zerman Shakiri. The cop willed it, and it occurred. Shakiri off the bench into a Liverpool embrace. Mane, Shakiri, Firmino, Shakiri. Radio 2000 and Metro FM, celebrating MSW 100 days on air.